All right. Well, good morning again. It is, it is great to be back in Hanford in the United States. Uh, I got to spend uh, a little over a week uh, in Kenya. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but I wanted a little bit of business I want to take care of uh, just getting back here and uh, some business items for the, for the church family. Number one business item, you, I don't know if you, you may not have noticed, but there were some uh, things that were cleaned up and tidied up uh, this weekend. We had a, almost 40 guys here yesterday uh, working on the facility, both outside and inside, uh, beautifying this place a little bit, doing some maintenance, things that needed to be done. So I just wanted to say to them, thank you very much. Guys, I appreciate your commitment to um, our church and just wanting to see that we're putting our best foot forward uh, in our community. So thank you for that. Uh, also want to say uh, thank you to my, and he's not here this morning, but my friend Dave Fox for uh, filling in for two Sundays. Uh, Dave's a good, uh, just a good friend of mine, probably, and there are many people who are my, are cheerleaders of mine, but Dave is just a very good cheer uh, leader for me, so I'm grateful for his willingness to um, help those two Sundays. And I listened to both his messages. If you were here, you were blessed, right? He did a great job, and if you weren't, go to the website, look for those two weeks, listen to those wrap-up messages from the Book of Romans. He did a great uh, job. There's no, David just has a unique way of doing things anyway, and so I, I'm sure you had a good time uh, with him. I enjoyed uh, listening to him. Uh, last business item is that just to make sure you're up to speed. As we finished February financially, we are about $3,000 uh, in the red. And so it is my prayer and my hope that as we welcome our new senior pastor later this year, that we will be in the black. So I just want to encourage you to continue to be faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness financially. Um, but if, if that's something you need to catch up on or whatever, I would encourage you to do that uh, just so that we can be in the black when, that, uh, when our new leader uh, comes later this year. And then lastly, I just wanted to show you uh, just some quick pictures of my, and let me just say, if any of you have ever been on a trip such as the one I was on, there's really no way to communicate. I could stand up here for an hour and tell you about all these great things that happened, and it's hard to communicate exactly what happened, but I didn't want to have the trip and then not be able to share a little bit of it with you. So this is the group we were with. Some of you may recognize uh, Pastor Jeff from South Valley over there on the left. And then the two gals in the middle, that's uh, Carrie and uh, Carol uh, from Roseville and from Reedley. That's Ben, our driver for the week. Ben did a great job and then I'm on the left. And then the next picture is just a snapshot of us going through the slum that we were in, uh, the slum area of Nairobi. Uh, Haruma is the name of that area. Uh, between six and 700,000 people living in a very small area and just, just a, uh, a lot of need there, but a lot of good things happening there too. There was a school that we spent time uh, at and doing great things for the kids and the families in that community, so it was great to uh, see that. Then the second half of the week, I was with my daughter's father-in-law. I don't know what that makes him to me, except my in-law, but his name's Harmon, and Harmon uh, works outside of Nairobi in more remote areas, and he builds bridges uh, such as the one behind us there that connects people to services like school, market, things like that. During the wet season, those rivers 
uh, run extremely dangerously, and so the bridges that he builds uh, gives access uh, to people. And then the last picture, yeah, just is some kids using uh, the bridge. So it was a great experience, um, a very short time for a, long, a lot of travel, but uh, it was very eye-opening, and I would just encourage you, if, if you've got other questions, I would love to talk to you about what I experienced and what I saw. It was a great, uh, great time, and so I was privileged to be able to... Um, to go and to, to serve in what little ways I was able to. All right. So this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we are heading into a new series we're calling God Revealed. And over the next few weeks, we are intending to look at some incidents from the life of Jesus. And then we are going to make a connection by asking two important questions. We're going to ask the first question, which is, what does this tell us about God? So as we look at this, these particular instances in Jesus' life, we will be asking, what does this tell us about God? And secondly, we will try to answer the question, does this help me to understand my circumstances, these circumstances of my own life? And so we're going to, to try to look at the incident from the life of Jesus and then make an application uh, to our lives together today. And so today we're going to look at the story of Jesus in the wilderness, and so it's in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible this morning, I would invite you to find Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read that in just a second. But as we get ready to look at that, I want to give you just a, a, a sense. Both Matthew, I'm sorry, not both, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospel writers mention this incident in Jesus' life. The gospel writer John does not mention this incident, but um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And the context of it is it, it's placed right after Jesus' baptism. So Jesus has lived his life up to this point. He's approximately 30 years old and he shows up and he's beginning, he's getting ready to go public with his ministry. And so he's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then uh, this incident happens. He heads into the desert. So that's kind of setting the scene for what we're looking at here. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. So follow along with me. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So this morning, we're, we want to look at this idea of the, the wilderness. The wilderness is a, is a place of barrenness, of desolation, a place where we find ourselves from time to time. 
And we try to avoid it at almost any cost. We do not want to be in this, whether it's metaphorically or actually, the wilderness is a difficult, difficult place. But what if it's the very place that God wants you to be? What if that's where God wants to speak to you? In your brokenness, in the, in the silence, in the stillness, where God can get our full attention and then we can be away from the things that are distracting in our life. You know, the idea of the wilderness and the actual place of the wilderness is important in the Bible, all the way through the Bible. If, if, you're, if you've been around church at all, you probably are aware of this. In the Old Testament, we know that the Hebrew nation wandered through the desert, through the wilderness. How long? Forty years they wandered in the desert. We know that later on in the Old Testament, Elijah went 40 days journeying through the desert to Mount Horeb after his, one of his ministry exploits. And Jesus himself spent this, these 40 days in the wilderness. I do not think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident. I, don't, I think it's absolutely part of God's plan that, that Jesus' time, these 40 days in the wilderness, mirrors what happened with the Hebrew nation in the Old Testament. And it's very much a picture of what happens in our life. So when we look at what happened with Jesus... I believe it says something to us. I believe we're going to find out that there's a purpose for the wilderness. That what happens in the wilderness is important, and it's not just important in general, but it's important to us, to me, to you. And so we want to look at two big questions. And the first question is this, is there a purpose for the wilderness? So let's look again at Matthew 4 real quick. Very first verse says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Have you ever seen that, those words before? Jesus didn't find himself there randomly. It says that the Spirit of God, that God led Jesus into the wilderness. The very fact that God led Jesus into the wilderness to me would indicate that there is a reason. He didn't just lead him out there for no reason. There was a purpose God is leading Jesus into the wilderness. There's a purpose. And so we need to ask ourselves, what would that purpose, what might that purpose be? Does does God want to do something in the wilderness, in that desolate place, in that difficult place? Does God want to do something? So I want to suggest that from some observation that there is indeed a purpose. And the first observation I want to make is that the wilderness is a place of humility. Keep your finger in Matthew 4. We're going to come back to that, but I want you to go to the Old Testament if you have your Bible to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, let's see, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fifth book of the Old Testament. Flip back there to Deuteronomy chapter 8. The wilderness is a place of humility. So this is Moses Now, he's speaking to the Hebrew nation, and he's reflecting on this journey in the wilderness that I just mentioned to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 2, Moses says this, 
Remember how the Lord your God led you. Notice, stop right there, that God led the people of Israel into the desert. It was not by accident. God had an intention. He led them all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you see the connection here? So Jesus, in his experience, is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, which Moses was using to reflect with the, the Israelites about what had just happened to them. They've come through this wilderness experience, and Moses says, in no uncertain terms, that God led you there to humble you. It's a place of humility. It's a place that reminds us the only answer for our life, the only thing that is going to satisfy is that we need God first and foremost. Jesus went into the wilderness. He was reminded that there was nothing else that he needed other than a connection with God. Moses is reminding them, you went into the wilderness to be humbled and to know that God would provide. So why does God lead us into the wilderness? No one wants that kind of experience. But everyone needs that kind of experience. We need to be reminded from time to time that it's not by our strength, it's not by our wisdom, it's not by my own ability, but that God provides. Let me take you to one other thing in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Drop down to verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says this, You may say to yourself, My power and strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Moses is reminding the Hebrews that God ran them through that wilderness experience to humble them and remind them that God was all that they need. It's a place of humility. The wilderness is also a place of testing. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 8 mentioned that, used that very word, that, that uh, God led them into the wilderness to humble and to test them. Now, I think we need to make a distinction here between testing and tempting because th these, are, these are two words that can get interchanged, but we need to understand there's a little different nuanced definition to these, in, in my opinion. When we think about testing, testing is something that our teachers do for us, right? We study, we study, we study, and, and they give us a test. Do they give us a test because they are mean people? No, our, our teachers love us. Our teachers want the best for us. They want us to, they want to see that we've improved. And they've been, that the effort that they have made on our behalf has shown that we've learned something. And so they test us not to make us feel bad, but to show us what we've accomplished. So testing is a, a benevolent thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's to show that we've made growth and made progress and that, that we're improving in our quality of work. Now, tempting is different. Tempting is malicious. It's the intent of a temptation is to trap you into something wrong and to make you do something that runs contrary to what it would be the right direction for your life. 
And so we need to really understand what was going on with Jesus. He was being tempted by the evil one. But Moses makes it clear that the Israelites, as they wandered in the desert, they were being tested. That God wanted to see, wanted to prove who they were. So it's, uh, temptation is designed to establish a pattern of disobedience. Testing is designed to strengthen and mature you in your Christian walk. That's the distinction between testing and tempting. The wilderness is a place of testing. It's also a place of purification. When we get into a desolate wilderness experience, we've got nowhere else to turn. The crutches, the artificial things that we're using to prop ourselves up, none of that's going to work for us. the, The wilderness is designed to take us down to the bare bones and say, this is me laid out before the world and before God saying, God, I've got no place to go, no one to turn to. You're the only answer for my life. It's purifying in that sense. And then lastly, it's a place of preparation that we're prepared for the next thing. In particular, we look at Jesus. I really feel like this is what was happening in the life of Jesus. He's getting ready to head into his public ministry and this experience with Satan in the wilderness is all of the things I just mentioned, humbling, testing and tempting, but prepping Jesus for what was to come as he headed out into his public ministry. So there is a purpose to the wilderness. There is a purpose to our brokenness. There is a purpose to the difficulties we encounter in our life. But what happens, this is the next statement, what happens in the wilderness is incredibly important. What happens to us during that time is incredibly important. So I want you to flip back into Matthew chapter 4, and we want to look more specifically at the three temptations that Jesus encountered, because we can learn from these. These These are ones that impact our life as well. What happens in the wilderness is incredibly important. The first temptation that Jesus encounters is the temptation to make your own way, to make his own way. Jesus had been 40 days in the wilderness. He hadn't eaten. He was hungry. Satan attacks where he is most needy, where he is most empty. Jesus was 100% human He was hungry. Satan comes to him and says, hey, just turn these stones into bread and you'll take care of your hunger need. Where he was most empty. Let me ask you a question. Where are you most empty? Do you need love, respect? Do you need affirmation, success? Is there a certain standard of living that you need to be content? If you become convinced that you should not feel empty and that it's up to you, yourself, to fill that emptiness, you will do whatever it takes to fill that hole. And you'll do it in your own strength. This was the temptation that Jesus had. Hey, just turn the stone into bread and you won't be hungry. Would it have been a sin for Jesus to turn the stones 
into bread. He was capable. He, he's, he does, later on in his ministry, he does many more incredible things than that. He could have done it, and I'm going to suggest that it would not necessarily have been a sin for him to do that. But by doing that, he's stepping out from allowing his Father in heaven to be in control and taking control for himself. And that's the temptation that we run into when we're in the wilderness. We want to fix it. We want to make it right. We don't like the way it feels. And we want to do whatever we need to do to fill that hole, to fill that emptiness, to fill that need in our life, to make our own way. Note the word if. It appears three times in in this passage. If you are the Son of God. And it has been said that doubt is the lever of temptation. That it's when we begin to doubt who God is, that God does have my best interest at heart, that I begin to question what my responsibility is. And doubt is what triggers, becomes one of the triggering parts of our temptation. And so we need to be reminded that we're not in control. As much as it sometimes is easier to take control ourselves, that to humble ourselves and to recognize that God has a bigger plan, a bigger picture in mind is more important. The first temptation is to make your own way. The second temptation is to twist God's way. So if Satan can't make you fall where you're weak or where you're empty, he's going to come after you where you're strong. And that's what he does with Jesus. He comes to him and says, prove that you're the Son of God. Be who you say you are. If you are the Son of God, jump off the temple. In fact, in essence, what he's saying is, hey, live out your faith. The Bible says, Scripture says that the angels will catch you, that they will not allow you to to hit your foot against the ground, that they will catch you. Be who you say you are. Practice what you preach. Satan is twisting God's way. And so he does the same thing with us. He begins to twist and cause us to twist and justify. We can make it sound very spiritual. We can make it sound very biblical. And all it is is a shortcut. We don't like the way that it looks like God's laid out things to go for us. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it sound spiritual, twist it around a little bit, and make my own shortcut. We'll twist God's way and make it sound more comfortable, more convenient. So that's what Satan tries to do with Jesus. He twists God's way and turns it into something of a shortcut. And Jesus says, I'm not going to go there. And he comes back with God's word right, right back at Satan. So the third temptation comes. The third temptation is try it the world's way. First temptation says, go your own way. Second temptation says, twist God's way, third temptation says, go it, try it the world's way. Power, position, influence, 
comfort. Jesus is taken to the mountain, to the high mountain, and said, hey, all these kingdoms I will give to you, and all their splendor, they're yours. Jesus was king. All those were his, or would be his. But all you have to do is compromise, Satan says. Bow down to me, worship me, and all this is yours. This is the temptation of idolatry. Idolatry is the idea of worshiping something other than God. And that's the temptation that Satan throws at Jesus. But in the same way, we are very much at risk of falling to the same temptation. That we'll look at, I I believe basically that we are far too easily satisfied. We will look at something, we will look at the world's way, and we'll say, you know what, that's good enough. That makes me feel good enough, or that will do. And so we're way too easily pleased. God's got something so much greater for us. But we will compromise and take something less because there's less commitment involved. It's easier, it's more convenient. And Jesus says, I'm not going to go there, Satan, away from me. And so I ask us, which of these temptations are we subject to? The answer is yes. All three of those. And here's what we need to know. In the same way that Satan came after Jesus, it's the same way he came after Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's the same way that he comes after you and I today. His strategy doesn't really change. It doesn't really change. It's going to look very similar. It's going to attack us at the same places. His pattern will be the same. He'll want us to make our own way. He'll want to twist God's way. He'll want us to bow to something other than God. So here's what I want us to know today. The wilderness is not the enemy. The wilderness is a tool that God uses in our life. And often we get distracted in the wilderness by all these other things when God wants to do something special in our life. So what is the wilderness? At some point of time in our life, we're going to encounter a a time in the wilderness. What is the wilderness? For some people, the wilderness is that place where you are literally devastated emotionally, physically, materially. For other people, the wilderness is the place where you feel lost, uncertain, confused about God's purpose and direction for your life. And still, for other people, the wilderness is that place where you feel just empty, yearning for something, discontent, about where your life is going. And I believe the wilderness is a place where that, where those problems, where those areas of our life can be addressed and can be fixed. But it's also a place that we can find ourselves compromising and losing sight of what God wants to do. The temptation in the wilderness is to find something other than God 
to meet your need. And I want to suggest that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. So, let me give you some last thoughts on this wilderness. God wants to use it in our life. I want to show you a picture. Um, this is a bowl. There is a, a Japanese form of art. For, forgive my pronunciation. Kintsugi. It's a type of art, Japanese art. Literally, the word means to patch with gold. Uh, this is the art of taking broken pottery and repairing it using lacquer that's been infused or sprinkled with gold, with silver, with platinum. And the idea is, or the philosophy behind this art form, is that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of this object rather than something to disguise. Think about that for a second. Typically, when we make repairs in our own life, we do it in a way to hide that repair. Now, I wasn't going to mention this, but I, I have to because it's just stuck in my head. But, um, and this dates me, I realize, but the Brady Bunch? Sorry for the young folks. The Brady Bunch is a great television show. But there was an episode of the Brady Bunch where the kids broke a lamp, or a vase, I'm sorry, broke a vase. And they tried to repair it, if you remember. Mom's favorite vase. They repaired it, um, and they thought they got away with it until they filled it with water, and it started leaking, and it fell apart. Anyway, the point is that we try, when something breaks, our idea is we want to put it back together, and we want to hide the break, hide the destruction, hide the problem as best we can. Now, we do that in our own life. We will take what is broken and we will try to disguise it. We don't want people to see our flaws. We don't want people to see our brokenness. We patch ourselves up so no one can see it. Broken marriages, broken relationships, broken lives. We retreat. We isolate ourselves. We don't want people to know. And I want to suggest that much like this form of art in Japan that in the same way that the pottery actually becomes more beautiful and more valuable in the restoration process God does the same with us God wants to use our wilderness to make us new to give us a new story to give us something to share with the world around us. God wants to use that wilderness experience. A second thought is that God does not abandon us in the wilderness. Where is your wilderness? Look at Jesus' experience in the wilderness and recognize that what gave Jesus the strength to come against Satan was the fact that God was with him, that he was connected with his father. And he had an answer when those temptations come. God does not leave us alone. The dangers are real. The temptations are real. The struggle is real in the wilderness. But God does not abandon us there. God's grace, in fact, is even stronger there in the wilderness. 
And then lastly, God has a promised land for you. In the same way that the children of Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness and eventually came to the promised land, in the same way that Jesus was 40 days with Satan in the wilderness, went through his ministry, was crucified, resurrected, and then ascended to the right hand of God, and it's where he lives today. In the very same way that God honors that, God has a promised land for you. The wilderness is not the end. The wilderness is not the end. You will come through better, stronger. You will be the person God intends you to be as you come through the wilderness. I believe God, God is revealed to us in the wilderness and in our brokenness. Pray with me real quick. I want to ask you a question. This morning, I have no idea. I, I, I can't tell I, just by looking at you where you're at, but I, I want to ask you as your heads are bowed and as we just sit before the Lord this morning, how many of you would say right now that you are in a wilderness? Just if I can see your hand. Okay. So there are, there are people among us that are, that are struggling. And I can assure you that uh, those of us that maybe don't find ourselves in a wilderness now, we have been in the wilderness in the past, and we probably will find ourselves there in the future. And I want to encourage you that God wants to meet you in this time of your life. That God wants to use this time of your life to make you the person that he is intending you to be. That he can use you. He can use this time to turn you into that piece of pottery that has greater value than you would have ever thought. Because of what he can do in your life. So God, I am grateful this morning for the truth of what the wilderness is about. That God is not something for us to run away from. That God, is, as we recognize these times in our life, and as it, it, we, we recognize that it is a struggle, that it is not, uh, it can be brutal. But in the midst of this time, you meet us, you strengthen us. You turn us into something more beautiful because that's what you do. That's who you are. So God, for these in particular that, that this morning have said that they find themselves right now in a, in a time of wilderness where they are struggling either physically, emotionally, spiritually. They're maybe even calling out to you and you seem so distant to them. God, I pray that you would make them aware of who you are, and that you have not left them alone, that you are right there with them, and that you would give them encouragement and strength and grace to walk through that. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So this morning we're going to uh, finish with some singing. And I'm, as has been uh, kind of our uh, habit the last uh, number of months together, after we're done singing this morning, I'm going to be here at the front, and I have a, two or three other people that are going to be here at the front. And I, and I just want to encourage you 